Hey there, educational rock stars. Are you feeling overwhelmed with lesson planning for your English language learners? Well, I've got some exciting news for you. Introducing our upcoming free webinar, Simplify Your Approach, Three Time-Saving Routines for ELL Success. Join me for a power-packed 45 minutes that's set to revolutionize your teaching strategy. In this webinar, we'll dive into three practical, easy-to-implement routines that will not only enhance your ELL teaching methods, but also save you hours of planning time. Yes, hours. So whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, these insights are tailored to help everyone make the most of their teaching time. Plus, you'll leave this webinar ready to implement these routines the next day. So mark your calendars for our two upcoming dates. I don't want you to miss this opportunity to transform your ELL lesson planning. To reserve your spot, simply sign up at www.equippingells.com slash routines. Trust me, your future self will thank you for it. I'll see you at the webinar. Teaching ELL students is a privilege and a joy. Is it easy? No way. But with the right support, you can feel empowered to tackle each day with ease and confidence. I'm your host, Beth Boucher, founder of Inspiring Young Learners. With over 10 years of teaching both nationally and internationally, I know what it takes to ensure that your ELL students have what they need to thrive today, tomorrow, and for life. I'm on a mission to empower you to equip your English language learners. Welcome to Equipping ELLs. Let's get to today's episode. Welcome, Maria. I'm so glad to have you back on the show. Hi, I am so glad to be back. I was so excited when I got your invitation. Oh, absolutely. And I think I'm going to have you again because there's so many different things we could talk about. (laughs) Maria and I were able to meet in person this summer, which was really fun at the Teachers Pay Teachers Conference. And I loved her session about just standards and what principals and administrators are looking for when it comes to standards. So I wanted to have her on today as we start a new series called Small Steps to Success. And this is really looking at how every person in the school building is responsible and a part of the process of helping change you know, the culture of our schools to really support English language learners. And so Maria, why don't you start with sharing a little bit about your expertise and your role as an administrator? Sure. So I am currently the director of curriculum and instruction for a pre-K through eight school district that is a suburb of Philadelphia. I'm on the New Jersey side. And while our ELL population has currently decreased significantly due to socioeconomic factors, at one point a few years ago, we had nearly I would say 25% of our school population was English language learners or multilingual learners as the name is now changing to. And I came into this role 
because of the expertise I had in supervising the English language learner program at my district where I was a teacher of ELLs and the program coordinator for about 10 years. So that is, that's been my journey in education. And I've done podcasts like Beth's and some, you know, blogging and conferences. And it's, it's been really wonderful to get to talk to people who are so interested in the the science and the practicality of teaching students for whom English is not their first language. Yes, absolutely. And you have so much expertise to share. So I was thrilled to hear you'd be back on the show. And we'll link the her first episode in the show notes that she was sharing on. So, all right. So let's dive right in. We have a lot to talk about today. Let's take a look at administrators. You know, many of us who are listening to this episode, myself included, have never been in that role of an administrator. And so sometimes it's hard for us to really know what it's like to be in the shoes of an administrator. And sometimes in the school, you know, it can be a lot of that tension of, of, are they for us? Are they, do they understand, you know, and you've been a teacher, you've been in all the roles leading up to administrators. So you probably see the whole, the whole picture. So why don't you share with us just a little bit about, you know, your responsibilities as an administrator, some things you've enjoyed with that role. Sure. So I can definitely speak to that feeling of thinking, does the administrator know what's going on? Does the administrator actually know about my program? And whether it's the music department or the gifted and talented program, the special education program, because from an administrative perspective, depending on the size of your school, the structure of your district, you may have an administrator who oversees your content area, or you may have someone like me who oversees many content areas. So while it may look like I'm spending more time with preschool this week, the next week, I may be spending more time on my ELL or GT population because when you wear so many hats like I do, you have to become kind of a jack of all trades. I forget with the when you you know when we talk about people who are subject matter experts in lots of things and not the penultimate expert in one thing. And that's how I kind of view myself having had such a strong foundation in best practices for English language learners. I can take that mentality and say, okay, well, when we're teaching ELLs, a lot of what we're doing is just really, really amazing scaffolding super, super intense building of background knowledge and vocabulary and then teaching words, phrases in all of their utilizations. So now how am I going to apply this to science and STEM and ELA? In my role, I draw on all of my background knowledge to inform the supervision, the instructional supervision that I do for my content area teachers. So that's a little bit about how I take what I learned about teaching ELLs and how I apply it to other content areas. It doesn't quite work for calculus. I haven't figured that out yet. <laughs> when I do, I'll let you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you really can do it all then if you can apply it there. <laughs> right. Hey, teachers, I'm interrupting this episode to ask you a quick question. 
How different would your life be if you could confidently plan effective and engaging lessons for your yellow students in a fraction of the time? I created my membership equipping ELLs to do just that. When you join, you gain instant access to the exact resources you need, proven and prepped for you, plus a supportive private community of like-minded educators. Join us today at www.equippingells.com. Now back to the episode. Our administrators are the jack of all trades. They wear you wear so many different hats and deal. You kind of have the pressure cooking from from above you and the teachers and the parents. And I, I always really kind of feel sad and bad for administrators. That's why I wouldn't be good in that role because. You have a lot of people who need your attention and need your answers. So I love that example you gave, just how you, you know, break down your experience, your expertise with working with ELLs and then applying it to the different content domains. So how do you feel like as an as an administrator, you advocate for the needs of the ELLs? So for me, I, I'm very scientific minded. I'm an extremely analytical person. And I really like to stay rooted and grounded in fact and law. And I am so beyond lucky to work in a state that prioritizes the needs of all types of learners, especially English language learners. New Jersey has a fabulous bilingual code, which is written into statute and When I began my journey as an EL teacher, I didn't know much about it. I I think I knew that there was something hazy out there. But over time, as administrators at that time when I was a teacher pushed back on me and said, well, can you take your kids for 25 minutes instead of 40 minutes? Can you take 26 kids instead of 13 kids? I was then able to, to look up and reference that bilingual code. So if for your listeners, if you are in a state and you don't know if there is code or statute or law that exists to protect the needs of your English language learners, I highly recommend you to look for it. A lot of my emails early on were, I understand that you want me to do this XYZ thing, but according to the code XYZ. And in doing so, in reference, constantly referencing the code, especially when it came to down to time, time served with ELs, students in a class, what happens, you know, when you're entering and exiting and what are those different markers, I internalized that code. And I think that has really made me the, the advocate that I am today because I know that code in and out. And I can, without a doubt, very confidently say when someone is like, oh, no, that kid's in second grade and they're the only one in second grade, so they don't need anything, right? Hold on a second. Let's check the code. So knowing the laws and using the laws to your advantage and therefore the kid's advantage is 100% my best strategy for advocacy. Absolutely. I feel like we could just end the podcast there because <laughs> that is exactly, I think what many of my, our listeners are struggling with is just, they're being put more on their plate, more demands put on them, more students, 
more newcomers, more grade levels. And I think that's exactly right. Is there, there should be a bilingual code in every single state. And it's up to us to really, you know, go research that, find out what those laws are because they are laws and they are what our students deserve to to be receiving. And some states have stricter codes than others. And if any of our listeners are interested in advocacy at any point, I think it's so noble to, you know, become a, a piece of the community that speaks up on legislation. Right now, as we speak in December of 2022, the New Jersey Bilingual Code is undergoing changes. And anyone is allowed to read it and make public comment. That's how we'd make change. That's how we can avoid that. Well, those people have never taught before. So how can they say what's right? When there's the option and availability to comment on a potential code, do it. That's what we have to do. That's great, great advice. And I think that's a great way to begin those conversations since we're speaking about administrators. If we do, we're going to get into administrators who might not have the background and experience like you have of working with multilingual learners. And so this is a great place to begin because you know our administrators are well-versed in what students should be receiving and what as a district, they need to provide whether they, you know, are held accountable to that is one thing. But, you know, I just think of any teacher that approaches an administrator with the law and saying, hey, this is what I'm reading. Is this what you're interpreting as well? And this is what our students should be receiving. That's a great starting point to have those conversations because then it's not feelings based. It's not, you know, all of these other things wrapped into it. It's here's what our state is saying that these students should be receiving. And to just go back to what you were saying earlier is that the truth is there may be administrators who don't know that law or they may know that the law exists. Like as as wearing all of the hats that I wear, I'm sure that I cannot spout out to you all of the preschool code. However, I know that it exists, but I don't I I would be very, very welcome if the preschool teacher came to me and said, oh my gosh, Maria, we're supposed to have a 950 square foot classroom and we only have a 700 square foot classroom. What do we do? That's where as an administrator, you have to say, oh my gosh, is that what the code says? I didn't know. Let's look at fixing it. So bringing bringing the code to the attention of an administrator may seem like a daunting task because in a way, we do seem like we we have it all, we know it all, but that's just that's a facade. <laughs> that's a front. We don't know it all. Help us, please help us. Well, you do you do wear a lot of hats and you do know a lot, <laughs> but I I like that example too of bringing it into a way of hey, here's a here's a problem we're seeing. How can we you know brainstorm work on this together? Not just an accusation towards the administrators. Oh, you're not supporting us. I'm overwhelmed. I'm overworked. But but looking at you know here's what the students need and they're not getting this. How can we how can we figure this out? Right. I think is a way better approach to trying to solve the problems. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And and when you're talking about any type of school problem, you know, so one of the problems is space, right? We are always talking and joking, right? Like lightheartedly about teachers of English language learners who teach in closets, who teach in supply rooms, who teach, you know, jokingly, like on the roof, in the basement. Sometimes it's true. Sometimes that happens. 
our building as it exists today was not built for the population that we have today. Schools can't magic extra spaces every time a code goes into effect, which is that piece of, oh my gosh, here's new legislation. What are we going to do about it? And that's where becoming a community advocate, pressing for grants, pressing for funding, that's where it really becomes that triangular effect. Absolutely. I love that advice. So let's talk about, you know, your background. You have had years of experience working with multilingual learners, but what about some of our administrators who haven't had that experience and are now finding themselves in a very diverse school? And, you know, like you said, administrators kind of have to put on a front like they know it all or that that they are handling it all, you know. So what advice do you give to those administrators who just really don't have that same experience that you've had? So something I say to everyone, regardless of position, regardless of content area, would say it to fellow admin as well as know your audience. Who are the people, I feel like there's a song, right? Who are the people in your neighborhood? But (laughs) who are the people in your school? What are the demographics? And if you take it, if you take a look at it, and here's my, you know, scientific parts coming out again, if you take a look at your statistics of what languages do people speak? What religions do people practice? What is the general socioeconomic makeup? You can go into an interaction with a family or at your parent, you know, back to school night, parent teacher conferences with the anticipation of knowing, okay, I may not be able to converse with these people in this language, but you know what? Here's a welcome banner. And maybe in addition to English and Spanish, I'm going to look up the Arabic word for welcome and I'm going to put it up there. There are so many little ways that an administrator can begin to know the students and the families in a school or district prior to having face-to-face interaction. So that's definitely where I would start is I, I would say, have you looked up your school statistics and demographics? Having done so, I would say, what questions do you have? What don't you know? Maybe you have a newly arrived group of Syrian refugees. That happened to me one year. We had had a very solid population of the same type of refugee from Southeastern Asia. And all of a sudden, one year, Syrian refugees arrived at our doorstep. Now, dealing with refugees was something that we had had experience with as a school community. Refugees from a new continent, new area, new country, new language, new religion. That was new. We all had to learn. What are some of the customs? What are the cultures? Where did these people come from? What are their expectations? So it's so much of learning to be able to talk to people is learning about them first. No, that's, that's so true. And and going with the series that, you know, the small steps to success, I think you hit it on right there. You don't, one, you don't need to know about every culture, every, every student in, you know, the area. And sometimes we feel like it's either all or nothing. 
And I love that advice of really honing in on your specific school, seeing the demographics that you have so you can learn how to make connections to those families that are coming through the doors, that you're prepared, that you're spending time preparing for those back to school nights, knowing that you're going to have some families that speak this language and how can we get resources translated or how can we have a translator there or how can we you know, get talking points in the school so that whoever wants to speak to these parents can make that happen. Absolutely. Uh, and and knowing that there may be a language, a minority language that isn't available yet on talking points or on Google Translate. That's that happens so often that, you know, we're just we're not ready for the immigrants who do come to us. And so who can we find in the community? Maybe there's a pastor, maybe there's a trusted community worker, maybe there's a refugee resettlement worker who has that connection with the family. And now as a school leader, I'm going to make a connection with that person too, because they're going to be my lifeline. Yep. Absolutely. Yes. A connecting point is really important. I agree for the administrator to take that role, see how, and I mean, that's where we're going to have such success with our, not just our students that enter schools, but the families too, you know, to be able to to show them, hey, these are available to you. These services are available to you and you need help with getting set up with a job or getting these paperworks, you know, fit completed. All those things that can be so overwhelming, having those resources available and having the school help to provide that and connect that is is wonderful. Absolutely. So we've mentioned a lot about, you know, just the the role of the administrator and what they can do in the school because we know that change happens from the top down. That's the best way and I know there's a lot of ESL teachers who just feel like they're really alone in this, fighting for the needs of their students. And so what would you say is one one tip that you would in, you would share to encourage administrators to be that change to, you know, kind of we've shared some today, but what else would you say? I think that the best tip I have for administrators is to meet with your EL teachers, your world language teachers, meet with all of your teachers, but specifically look at teachers who are teaching marginalized populations and create that relationship of I'm here to support you as an administrator, but in a way you're supporting me as an administrator because I don't want to order 12 iPads if you already have enough. You know, I may have a lot of grant funds that and say, oh yeah, iPads sound like a great idea. Let me just let me just order some. Well, that's twelve hundred dollars that maybe I could have spent elsewhere. So when it comes to deciding what is best for the kids in your building, the people who can answer that question are the people who are in front of the children day in and day out. So create whatever system you need to create, put it in your calendar in August before everyone comes back, whether it's once a month or once a quarter, whatever works for you, designate a time to meet with the people who are teaching the kids. And you can structure those types of meetings in so many different ways. Some of the best way I've found to do that is to Make it informal. Sit around with a cup of coffee. Say, tell me about your kids. What are they learning? What are they excited about? 
that conversation will naturally flow into, oh, I have, you know, students who are so excited about this. And they said they had their friends in the neighboring district had a 3D printer. Could we maybe have a 3D printer? Those organic ideas and questions are so much more likely to come from a conversation where the respect is mutual than a conversation where it's top down. This is my time to meet with you because I've decided it's my time to meet with you. And this is the only time you can ask a question. It needs to be a two-way street. Conversations and ideas have to flow freely. So if you're an administrator, think about how you're going to create that relationship and create that avenue for conversation to flow. Absolutely. And I think, you know, all teachers at the end of the day just want to be seen and heard. And when you, you know, administrators take the time to do that, it it really goes a long way. And just also like you're saying with asking the teachers what resources they're looking for. When working with multilingual learners, every group could need something different. So <laughs> I feel like oftentimes it's, oh, okay, the third and fourth graders need this. We'll do it for all of the all K through eight and and now we're done with that order. And it's you know, I think at the end, trusting that teachers know what they need and what's going to help them with this year and with this group of students, because every group, even if it's the same grade level, same language level, every group can need different things every single year. And so just putting that trust on the teacher saying, I I trust that you, you know, if you're asking for this, this is really what's going to help your students this year. That's a key piece too, is that this year, this group of students. I know some educators who fall into the trap of not stereotyping, but kind of putting kids in the bubble of, well, these are my typical students. My typical students need this. And it's, and, and yeah, you can do that after so many years of having, you know, students maybe from the same language or the same religion. But the truth is the students today in 2022 need wildly different methods and pedagogies than the students in 2019 did. Absolutely. And that's true across the board. But that will also be true in 2025 and 2030. So there's a piece here that gets tricky, and that's where it comes to budgeting. My budget for the 23, so hard to remember, like what's next year? The 23-24 school year is due in January. Wow. Now, I haven't met, I haven't met those kids yet. Have you? Like the teacher hasn't met those kids yet. The teacher needs to tell me, Maria, I need $800 for supplies for my kids next year. Here's a general idea of what that $800 is going to get me. The trick is to think about the needs of the kids that you have now and anticipate the potential needs for next year. And that is the hardest thing because next year's kids may not need the same thing that this year's kids needed. And how are you going to spend that $800 that was allocated to your department from last year. School, I mean, this is an entirely different podcast, like school budgeting and and playing the game of school budget and school finance is an, a, you basically need an entire degree in it. 
That's why they have business administrators, business administrators. Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No, but that's helpful. I think as teachers to have that insight into, yeah, just the little thing of budgeting where, you know, if we've never had to experience doing a budget, we just think, come on, we asked for this. Can you give it to us? And I love that insight you've given us of there's actually so much more that goes into this. And by the time it's due, it's not even, you know, you're not even with those kids yet. So, I mean, we got to give grace to each other. Yes. Yes. <laughs> All right, Maria. Well, I'm going to end with one question. When this airs, but po- last week's podcast episode is going to be on what student success looks like for our multilingual students. This is a question that I'm really, really questioning and want people to stop and think about because, you know, this whole series of small steps to success, if we don't know what that success is, then what do we need? We don't know what small steps to take. And I think we need to redefine what success is in terms of our students and in school. So what do you, does student success, does success look like for a multilingual student? Oh my Maybe gosh. One facet yes, of this it. is the hardest question you've asked me today. I know. Okay. <laughs> I didn't prepare for this either. So <laughs> you can take a I, minute to think. I have just recently had this discussion with the superintendent in my district because in public schools, the board of education is that kind of governing body of the district. The board of education has the ultimate say in yes, no, maybe not related to the day-to-day aspects of the classroom but more about those larger purchasing decisions, hiring decisions, personnel, that type of thing. Ultimately, it's the board of of success, the board of education who determines the general direction of a district. So I, I gave you all that preface to say, when you're a school administrator, you have to be able to understand what the Board of Education and the superintendent expects as a measure of school success for the school, right? Big capital letters. But then the other piece of that is what does success look like for the student? So there's two, I mean, there's more than two, but those are just two kinds of success. From the personal level, for a student, success may be ordering food at the drive-through window to feed the family. Success may be filling out the paperwork for insurance. Success is so subjective. And from my lens, I have to grapple with that all the time. Sure, I can look at test scores as a measure of success, but whose success is it? Is it mine? Is it the district's? Because that success is not the success that's going to allow my my student to be college and career ready. And so it really depends on who's asking the question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is going to be one that people are going to grapple with for. <laughs> yeah, I think but there's it, not a there's not a it's like you're saying there's not a clear cut answer. Yes, in terms of 
the school, there might be a pathway to success of here's what the expectations we need, those standards we need to follow that, to reach those things. I'm not disagreeing with that, but I think just challenging teachers to look at each student individually and defining what success is and having those conversations with the students. I think that's really my heart behind this whole new series is our multilingual students are succeeding each day. They're taking risks. They're doing things they couldn't do before. And and far too often, we don't take time to celebrate those small wins, those small successes that continue to build that confidence and, and help them see, oh, I'm not just someone that's behind. And now I'm, you know, my teacher's worried about me because I'm behind and I'm never going to catch up and I'm never going to learn English. And in this, you know, deficits-based approach, that's not going to help them at all. But if we can look and see, wow, look at where you were a week ago. Now look at this writing, look at the sentence you just wrote. Success for each student is going to be so different. So we need to really know our students so that we can say what, what does success look like for this child, for the student. Absolutely. And I think it's really important for administrators to realize that success has so many multiple forms. And as an administrator, you know, my initial thought goes to, oh, gosh, the pressure for my superintendent, the pressure from my board. But as a teacher, my thought immediately goes to how am I going to make sure that my student, if they get lost on the way home, can tell somebody driving by. I always used to say this with my kids. If you get lost and you flag down a police officer, police officer is going to say to you, where do you live? Can my student tell their address? And that's success right there. There's so much to think about. I love this. Thank you, Maria, so much for joining me today. This is, you're going to come back again. We're just going to keep having these conversations because there's so many. I would many. love to. I mean, there's there's so many pieces yes. to talk about. And you know what would be so fun is just to really, you know, I'd love to hear from your listeners with whether or not they have strong or weak bilingual codes in their districts and their counties and their states. You know, what does, what does it look like for other people who want to advocate within their school. Yep. Awesome. All right, Maria. Well, why don't you share with my listeners where they can find more from you? Surely. So you can find me at everyonedeservestolearn.com. Same on Instagram. I am everyone deserves to learn. And I am on Twitter as Mrs. MC. E-D-U. And I I look forward to connecting with each and every one of you. I really appreciate the people who have contacted me from the prior interview I did with Beth. It's it's wonderful to chat with people. Yeah, this is such an amazing, amazing community. So we appreciate you taking your time to be with us today. And we will post the links for ways you can connect with Maria in the show notes as well. So, all right. Thanks so much. Thank you, Beth. Thank you for joining me in today's episode. All links and resources mentioned can be found in the show notes. If you're looking for even more support and done-for-you resources created specifically for the needs of ELLs, head to inspiringyounglearners.com. I'll catch you here next week. Until then, take that next step to keep equipping your ELLs.